Welcome everyone. This is the Rotary Club of Worldwide Impact, and we're excited to share our mission and the work we do as part of Rotary International with all of you today. My name is Kelly and I'm your host for today's program. Rotary International is a global network of 1.4 million neighbors, friends, leaders, and problem solvers in more than 46,000 clubs, all united in the common goal of making a positive impact in our communities and worldwide. As a Rotary Club, we approach every conversation as an opportunity to learn and grow together. Our goal is to connect with and hear from fascinating and inspiring speakers, often with a message focused on the power of ideas to change lives and ultimately the world, and bring you a little bit of inspiration that allows you to think about how you can make a difference as well. You may be hearing this on your favorite podcast service, watching it on our YouTube channel, or viewing it on our club's website. If you enjoy the program, share it with a friend, and don't forget to leave a good rating and review. We do like five stars. <laughs> now, today we are pleased to have with us our distinguished guest, Valerie Wafer. Joining Valerie are Jeffrey and Yet, both members of our club and rounding out our panel to offer us their perspectives on these topics that we've put together. Valerie joined Rotary in 2005 in order to fuel her passion for making an impact that matters. Valerie is District Governor of Rotary International District 7070, covering the greater Toronto area in 2013 to 2014. Now residing in Burlington, her home club is the Rotary Club of Burlington Lakeshore in District 7080. Valerie has served Rotary in a number of international roles. During Valerie's tenure as a Rotarian, she has participated and led many initiatives, including a mission to Kosovo with Gift of Life International. Now, aside from her Rotary life, in her non-Rotary life, uh, Valerie had a 27-year career as a restaurant owner in Toronto. The brand Tim Hortons is the most recognized and iconic franchise in Canada. The Wafers um, operation uh, was best known for its inclusive hiring practices and accessibility, especially in the area of employment. And as the chair of the Rotary International Global DEI Task Force, Valerie brings a strong background of learned and lived experience to this very important topic. Wow, <laughs> that's a very long and impressive uh, resume, both personally and professionally. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation as we discuss various topics that will move Rotary forward. So let's begin with our first topic about female leadership in Rotary and the path forward. So I'd love to start with Valerie. How was your experience in Rotary as a female leader and how has it changed over the years? Have you noticed any trends as you started taking on more of these top roles? Well, first of all, I really wanna thank you for inviting me to, to be with you. Um, Kelly uh, and I do go a long way back because Kelly was a district Rotaract representative in District 7070 um, way back when I was probably district governor. So when Kelly got in touch with me, it was just so wonderful to open up an email from a friend from the past and kind of catch up, which was really, really nice. So really great to be with you. Um, you know, I have kind of an interesting uh, thing that I've realized in my journey of, of being a woman in Rotary is that I was the third president of the Rotary Club of Whitby um, in 2008. I was the third woman district governor in District 7070. And I was the third, dist uh, third Canadian director 
and the third Canadian vice president as a woman. Of course, Dean Roars and Jennifer Jones share that share that as well. So I don't know what it is about me and the number three, but I'm going to say maybe it's my lucky number. I don't, I don't know. It's, you know, four is my favorite number, but three should be my favorite number, I think. And, you know, we really have seen a lot of change um, from back in, in uh, you know, when I first was president of my club and, uh, and, and certainly going forward. We have a lot of work to do in Rotary still. There's no doubt about it. You know, globally, we only have 28% representation of women in Rotary and women on, and, and Rotary members under 40 as well. So, I mean, we may talk about women, but what we're really talking about is the marginalized groups that aren't having the opportunity to be leaders in our organization. And of course, we know that the more voices we have around the table, whether that's at the club level or the Rotary International level, the more we bring different perspectives, the more we bring those lived experience and points of view. So, you know, I know looking around that many of you are probably champions in this area and you're champions of inclusion and equity. So I'm probably telling you something that you already know, but it's something that I think we is, is worth repeating over and over again, that of course, being diverse and having more women in Rotary, having those currently not in leadership is really critical moving our organization forward. We started in Rotary really measuring the two demographics that we've been tracking for a long time, if Rotary members will share that information on their uh, pr profile on rotary.org, and that is age and gender. And uh, I, I don't, you know, we can go into gender and should we be tracking gender, but I'm talking about historically what we have been tracking. And so we have a new Rotary snapshot or DEI snapshot that's available on, on rotary.org as well as a lot of other resources. But I'm really excited about this specific one because again, it's something that we've been tracking for a long time. So we've got that benchmark and we know where we're going. So if you remember, it wasn't that long ago that that picture either on stage or on Rotary's website was that there was no women on Rotary's board of directors. And so, you know, people look to the president and they say, why aren't there women on Rotary International Board of Directors? But it's not up to the president to put a woman on the board of directors. It all starts, you know, in our clubs and in our districts. We need to fill the roles that are mandatory or prerequisites for us to be senior leaders in Rotary. And so it starts at the club level. We need to ha have women and, and younger members in as a president right and then right now we still have some time that has to pass before you can run for district governor but if we don't have women presidents we're not going to have women district governors and you have to be a district governor to be a director in rotary so it doesn't start with the international president or it doesn't start you know at the board level it starts at the club level but it's really exciting that we are seeing more representation and representation matters, right? So how many of us saw that first woman president in Rotary last year, Jennifer Jones? How many women in our clubs and districts said, wow, I didn't know a woman could be a president or I didn't know women are senior leaders in Rotary. Maybe I should put my name forward, right? Maybe I would have a chance to be elected and to be a future leader in Rotary. 
So representation really, really matters. And what's really exciting is, of course, our current president, Gordon McAnally from Scotland. But next year, we have our second woman leader of Rotary International and Stephanie Urchik. And I'll share with you, because it's not a secret, that Stephanie is a single woman leader. You know, when you think in our organization about the importance of partners, and I, I fully agree that our partners are fully supportive, but who, how many times have you heard, I could never be a director or a district governor because I don't have a partner. And so again, I think a really, really strong message to future leadership in our organization. So yeah, I really am seeing a huge trend. Um, but again, it starts the club and district level. Yeah, I'm so glad you touched on representation because I think even just speaking with some of my peers, uh, people really did highlight the fact that, wow, it was such a, it was so inspirational to see a female president uh, as for Rotary International. And I think people felt like it was a long time coming, you know, it probably happened a bit <laughs> too late, but a lot of people were talking about it. I think it really was inspirational and probably encouraged a lot of people, a lot of um, women to yeah, run to become president of their clubs. And like you said, it starts at uh, the club level because that is a prerequisite for you to continue to move on to more um, top levels within the organization. All right. Well, we have uh, Yet and Jeffrey on our panel, and I'd love to hear about your experience um, at the club level. Have you noticed any trends over time with female leadership in either clubs you've been in before? You can also speak <laughs> about your experience within uh, within our club. Uh, yeah, well, my experience within Rotary is very limited yet. Of course, uh, last year we had our district governor as female leader. Uh, and of course, I love Raquel as, uh, as our president. Um, what I love about it is that most times the female leadership has more soft skills. So it's more based on people and on uh, those items instead of being a hard business. I think that's a positive change. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yet, anything to add to that? Um, I, I, I've been a club president myself in my former club uh, uh, 2017. Um, and I, I was a bit um, mad about all the men being surprised that we had three women presidents uh, following each other. Um, uh, because uh, why not? Uh, three is a bit too much. That should be a, it should be it should alternate in my opinion. Um, but I think it's a shame. Uh, it's not evenly. Um, it, it's still uh, an exemption when there's a, a, a woman uh, in the leadership role, and I think it's it's a pity that most people are surprised there's a woman in a leadership role. Um, so there's a lot of work to do, and I hope with, uh, like you said, in Rotary, there's a more a, a nice opportunity to uh, show people that there is uh, no difference uh, in chances and in opportunities for women and men. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to chime into about my experience in Rotaract and similar to what Yet was saying, how they had three consecutive years of female president uh, at the Rotaract Club of Toronto. We had maybe at least five years consecutively, we had female presidents. And I actually got to the point where we all came together and said, we need to ensure that we have a representation and we had to actively encourage uh, male candidates to apply. 
And so we did that. And, and I think there were, um, maybe it was like two years or so of, of uh, male president. And then it became a bit more, it, it started to alternate a bit more. But I think um, what that says is it's, it's up to the club members to also like come together and recognize when there, when you do feel like there is a need for more inclusion and to do something about it. Yeah, so that's that. So maybe we're an anomaly, but based on Yet's experience, uh, there could be some clubs where <laughs> they also experience the same thing uh, globally. And sometimes we need that overcorrection, right? It needs to be kind of really obvious that someone's missing um, because it's not about ticking a box. It's not about tokenism. But, you know, sometimes when we swing too far the other way and we don't have that representation, it, it just opens our eyes. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you already mentioned a little bit about making sure that we first encourage uh, women to apply for positions at the club level so that they can ascend to um, higher positions within the organization. Are there specific strategies you think we can implement to help cultivate more female leaders within Rotary at the club level? And then how can this trickle into some of these other Rotary programs to make sure we're also encouraging um, uh, young girls to apply for yeah, more leadership positions? Um, you know, I just, I really think it just takes a mindful intention to make sure that, um, you know, I touched on not just women, but young members or those who are currently not either in your club or in leadership or in some of the programs that we run through uh, in Rotary um, right from the beginning, you know, whether it's youth exchange, whether it's RILA, whether it's forming interactor Rotaract clubs and just really making sure that we're cultivating tomorrow's leaders and keeping them engaged so that they want to continue through, uh, through to becoming Rotarians. And I just think that when we cultivate that culture of inclusion, um, you know, whether it's tapping someone on the shoulder that you think would make a good leader who, who perhaps didn't see themselves as a leader, you know, I have to say every time I was asked to do something, it's because somebody was tapping me on the shoulder saying, I think you'd be really good at this. Why don't you think about doing this? I, you know, we're here to back you up. We're here to make sure you succeed. And we will give you the tools necessary for you to be able to, to show up and to be able to do the job. And so I think sometimes it's just being intentional about recognizing that in, um, in everyone and, and giving everyone that opportunity to lead. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Say if our club was looking to sponsor RILA participants and as we were making sure that we're also, you know, the form that we that we put together is inclusive and it's attracting people from a diverse group. And also as applications come through, if you recognize that it's perhaps not as, as diverse, like how, how come, like, have you been marketing to like the right groups? Have you been casting your net wide enough and then trying to encourage people to apply um, and giving them those opportunities? I was gonna say, I think you make a really great point about your marketing and your messaging, Kelly, because many people won't apply if they don't think they're welcome. So sometimes we do have to expand that language to actually say we are inclusive or um, you know, all are welcome. Uh, we really found that even when we were hiring in our business, we were known for people who hired people with disabilities. But when we said we were inclusive employers, we had people coming from, uh, you know, out of the area knowing that they would be welcome. So it's really about that messaging and that wealth that, um, you have sometimes have to really state it. It can't be implied. You have to state it. 
yeah, that's true. Putting it out there. All right, I'd love to move on actually to our, our second topic, which we've already sort of begun discussing already, which is diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, so DEIB within Rotary and its impact on clubs and initiatives. So DEIB is a very hot topic. We already started talking about it. You mentioned that Rotary International has these snapshots. Are there any other ways in which Rotary is prioritizing DEIB and how can it go about impacting Rotarians at the club level? Wow, so we have done a lot of work around diversity, equity, and inclusion in Rotary and it is a top priority for us. So I was on the board um, when then President Holger Knack uh, formed the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force. And our mandate was to um, educate the board and the trustees. It was to provide resources and to listen to our members and understand where we were um, and, and make sure that we were making a priority um, of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So if you have not gone to rotary.org and our DEI landing page, I really encourage you to go there. You will see the work that the task force had completed over uh, three years, including a very strong commitment statement from Rotary International on where we stand, um, how we have um, a lot of learning to do, and how we will be always transparent with our members on where we are on this journey and how our intention is not to be top down, but to support our members in this journey. We also came up with a uh, code of conduct, uh, how we expect ourselves and our members to conduct themselves within a Rotary environment, how to celebrate diversity, how to be an upstander when, um, you know, we've all been there when those jokes or those comments are made at Rotary that are just unacceptable today and how we need to support our members. We know that one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why people leave Rotary through our DE, through our member, global member surveys is club culture. And club culture is not feeling welcome, not feeling like you belong. And so this is the work that we're doing. And so we have had a DEI task force um, for the last three years. And last January, we took it to the board and the trustees that we wanted to fully operationalize this work. We want, didn't want to continue to be known as a project of Rotary, because as you know, um, you're, you know, this is a long journey. Um, club culture or culture in any organization takes time. And so we are now the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Advisory Council of Rotary International, which is very, very exciting. So we will now be um, a resource to both the boards, the trustees and the RI board, as well as all of our standing committees, all of our programs of Rotary and to our members. So we started by launching a a survey three years ago to ask our members for the first time ever how they feel um, about their club experience and do they feel they have chances to leadership. It really acted as a benchmark because it was the first time we asked our members. So the DEI Advisory Council will continue to work um, to support our members. Um, one of the, the items that we brought to the board was that we need to support our members where they are and that policy isn't going to change club culture. So as much as we have leadership at the top speaking about DEI, we know that we're there to support our members because DEI looks different around the world. It can even look different across town. So we will never 
tell a club what they should look like, what they should be doing. Rather, the reason this is going to be sustainable and a true change for Rotary is because the change will come in our clubs and our districts. It is part of our values of Rotary. And so I'm, again, I'm really excited about the work that our club members, the commitment that our club members have towards this journey. Mm, yeah, and I think, like you said, the first step really is listening. So I think it's great that the the task force sent out the survey to worldwide membership just to understand um, where they're currently at. And yeah, knowledge is power. And I do I do see your point about how even if you implemented a policy, it's difficult to apply it across the board because Rotary is in so many different countries. And like you said, it can even clubs can look very different from one town to the next or even in the same town. So just being there as a, a support system for clubs as they go through this journey and like encourage them and give them ideas for how to apply more uh, inclusive practices. But um, it's really more about empowering clubs to make that change from within. I'd love to turn it to yet yeah, and Jeffrey just to understand like as you've been listening to Valerie's response, have you thought about different ways in which it could be our club, it could just be uh, Rotary clubs in general, what are some practices you think we could implement? So for example, I think this idea of a survey is really interesting. That could be something we could implement with within our club and something we send around annually. Do you have any other ideas that have come up as you've been listening to Valerie's uh, response? Well, I do think that our club does it quite well in, uh, in different nationalities, different genders. We started with a female lead. Um, what I do think about it, that survey is a good thing. Is like We do not have to see ourselves and, oh, we're already there. We have this already. No, no, no. There's more than that. Uh, I think we do not, we not only apply the change, but it has to become natural even within our own club. Like how can we continue this for years without having to think back about it every time? And I think as how we do it now, we should continue and at least lead by example. So what you have is, is known, <clears throat> but what you don't have is unknown. So um, uh, how do we reach out to groups we don't know yet? Um, and how do we find the people who maybe want to um, join our club or any Rotary club and um, uh, but we don't know they're, they're seeking out how to uh, how to find the club or don't even know Rotary exists they still they, that people still exist and it would be a welcome addition to a club um, so that that's that's always uh, difficult because you can only do a survey on the people you you know um, so I'm, I'm finding way try, trying to find ways how to reach out to more people and uh, we we had in our club we had a nice uh, my former club we had a nice thing with uh, refugees uh, joining sometimes so you can you can meet uh, uh, that group of people where you're not normally in work uh, or in in your private situation uh, easily in contact with but it's it's difficult to to really reach out to new groups so how do we find them I think to Valerie's point like we need to create this culture of inclusivity. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we feel our, our club is very open right now, but how do we how do we get to know the unknown? <laughs> there's probably, there's always more you can do um, and how do we maintain it going forward as well? 
So I have another question um, for Valerie. I mean, maybe you touched on a bit earlier talking about how it's really difficult to you know, enforce policy, <laughs> DEIB policy across all, all the clubs that we have around the world. But um, I do know that in some countries it's, yeah, for cultural reasons or, or other factors, um, there, there might not be, they might not be as inclusive. So we do still have some um, men only clubs. I've actually also heard of some women only clubs as well. <laughs> Spans the full spectrum, but I think there's more men only clubs, uh, which is a very touchy subject, but, uh, and I'm sure the top leaders are aware of it. So how could, how could the task force go about making a difference here, whether it's, like you said, encouraging um, clubs to, I'm not sure what other, what, what specific policies we could reference here, but what are some ways in which we could make a difference here? Well, one of the first things we did when the DEI task force was formed is we did get into working groups. And one of them was a policy, a policy working group. And we looked at you know, not just language and gender terms throughout our policy, which is something we need to do, but we also looked at what is prohibiting leadership or inclusion of those currently not either in Rotary or in leadership positions. And you know, we are looking at things like, why do you have to be in Rotary um, you know, seven years after being president before you can be district governor and then three more years before you become director? We're really discounting all of our professional experience, everything that we're bringing to the table. And so we're really challenging a lot of those policies around tenure. Um, and experience, although there's no doubt that the more experience you have, our, our organization is pretty complex. Um, and I think that that's probably why a lot of those things were put in place to begin with. But, but we are challenging those things. One of the things that the task force really wanted to look at, again, if we come right back to where it all begins, and that is not only in your club, but at the district level, what do your interview panels look like? So, Kelly, when we were in District 7070 mm -hmm. and I put my name forward for District Governor, the panel was always made up of the past, I think it was the past four District Governors and the current District Governor would sit as the chair and would only vote if there was a tie. Well, of course I sat in front of a panel of all men because they were all men that were, you know, on past District Governors. So we can't discount unconscious bias. <laughs> we can't discount stereotyping. We can't discount the question about how are you going to do this with young children at home? I mean, those questions have to stop. And so, you know, if we look at our interview panels, both maybe at the board of director level at our club, who determine who is going to be on our board and who's going to be chair of committees or our president, it needs to start there. And then our district governor interview panel needs to change. So it's time for us to look at a lot of these things um, differently, whether it's tenure in Rotary or it's interview panels. Um, so we, we do have our eye on that. We are looking to, um, to really make some changes there or suggest some changes, but it be, it's, it's all about education. It's all about the why. Why is there mm -hmm. a benefit for us to change? Right. And that's that's really how you make that culture change, not thou must or thou shall, but why? What is the benefit to, to us? 
Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, just going back to about specific clubs that may not be as inclusive. So for example, these men only clubs, I know that there's definitely young people who of course want to be involved. And if they do have a difficult time gaining membership, most often they'll probably start their own clubs, which is not a bad thing for, for Rotary per se. And I guess over time, then maybe clubs will come around to this idea because maybe membership will drop because they, they're not attracting uh, young people because young people want to be part of more inclusive clubs. So um, yeah, that, that, that could be one way about it if, if change isn't happening um, internally. But I do like the point you made about tenure, which is where we can apply more policy changes and, and hopefully turn that around and make it more, um, uh, more inclusive and open up the net to more women. Yeah, and, and to be honest, every single person who has this conversation is asked, what are we doing about those male only clubs, right? I mean, are we going to take away their charter? You know, we've tried to encourage them to, in, you know, invite women. Well, I'm just going to put this out there. Do you want to be the woman to walk through the door in a club like that and try to change them? Um, you know what? We did that back in the late 80s, and it's taken us 30 years to have a woman president. So, you know, whether it's a woman or it's someone who's currently not in the club, if there isn't representation, I don't know um, how accepted. Um, it's it's an uphill battle, and I'm not sure that the person will really stay. So until you they are intentional about wanting to accept women in those clubs, and many of them aren't, then you know what? They will be their men's club until they become that club that is no longer. <laughs> And, you know, as far as women's only club, it it's not a perfect situation either, but there are mm -hmm. cultures in this world where that's their only option. And so they may start as an all women's club, but they're probably not going to stay there because I'm, I don't think that they have the same mindset as those traditional male clubs who have never invited women since women were allowed to join Rotary. Um, I think that they're doing it out of necessity. Um, and I think that, you know, eventually they will become uh, inclusive clubs. But we have this wonderful opportunity in Rotary, as you said, Kelly, to start a new club. You know, mm -hmm. I used to say to people, it's so wonderful if you belong to a community where there's three or four clubs, shop around because one club may not fit you. Well, you know what? The answer today is if there isn't a club in your community that fits you, start a club like this incredible club that you all belong to. Um, you know, the men only clubs, you know, they're there, but I don't think that we're going to change them. And I don't think that we're going to pull their charters, but I think that we just need to move on and we need to find new ways, um, it's, uh, you know, about experiencing Rotary. Yeah, thank you for uh, for speaking about this it's difficult topic. I know sometimes it's a bit taboo to address, but I think it's so important because it's definitely a question that comes up with with my peers sometimes, even still. So I'm, I'm so glad you took the time to uh, to respond to it and definitely agree. <laughs> you, you know, we can always start new clubs <laughs> and inter and uh, continue to spread a more open uh, open and inviting culture. All right, I'd love to move on to our third topic, which is impactful surface projects in an ever-changing world. When I was thinking about what, what topics we could talk about, I thought this would be incredibly interesting. 
now there's lately in the news there's been so many articles about artificial intelligence so the world is definitely changing we're in the progress of changing it it always is but this feels like a pretty big monumental change that's about to come or we're already there um the ways in which people learn work and socialize are increasingly taking form online so how do you think we as rotarians can adapt our service projects I mean, we get information so quickly. We got to be careful it's correct information. We need to be able to disseminate that. But we have partnerships around the world. We have friendships around the world. Even if you see the different countries that are represented here, it's just a quick, you know, telephone call, email, text message to anyone that we know around the world saying, listen, this is happening. I need your help. Or you know, I know that you work in this area. I could really use your expertise. So everything that we do in Rotary, and I know this is a real focus for uh, the foundation as well, is how can we scale up our success, our success, our history of success in the world? And look at what's happening with our natural disasters. And every day we're hearing about fires, the forest fires in Canada, the fire in um, Hawaii, um, the earthquakes that have happened, even in the last week, um, you know, we are not in the disaster response field, but how can we not? How can we not respond to what's going on around the world? So, you know, we need to always be prepared to serve our members and serve the people of our communities. And so that's where these partnerships and these collaborative efforts and scaling up, you know, small projects to really large capacities with our with our partners is so important. Yeah, that's a really good point. I know we work, uh, we partner with Shelterbox. Um, there's other big organizations that Rotary is associated with, and you know, this is their specialty. So I think to the extent that we can leverage our network to support them and to respond to these crises, you know, I think if COVID has taught us anything, it was quite challenging for some clubs to even just begin meeting online. It wasn't difficult for e-clubs because they were already doing it, but that there was a transition period for that. And there could be a transition period uh, for this as well. I can see how maybe some clubs could really leverage it and use it for good, um, which is why I thought this, this question was quite interesting. Jeffrey, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, um, I think we should learn how to use the AI as a, as a tool for information, how to get different uh, sets of knowledge. Never to forget that all information that you get from what chapter source, you have to validate it. Uh, years ago, we started with Wikipedia and everything on it was new to us as well. Um, and I think what Ferry says is uh, makes me the most sense. We already have that information. A lot of people are just a phone call away how would you do this? What is your idea about it? Any conversation helps with it. I just think AI brings it a little bit closer. Yeah, I've been thinking about how, I mean, there's clubs are doing such great work, but um, sometimes maybe you have to do a lot of the legwork on your own when you're starting something. But, you know, imagine there was this database where people could put their project templates and you could do a quick search a very specific search and that would save a lot of time and effort and your knowledge sharing and um, might be easier to implement uh, initiatives and collaborate together. 
So yeah, even just the idea of thinking about it, like making sure whenever you're initiating something to maybe add that to your to-do list of things to consider as part of your scope. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to see what's to come and how we can, Rotary can utilize technology in that way. Um, I did have one final question. I think Valerie, you sort of touched upon it. I mean, Rotarians engage in all different types of projects and they always focus on the needs of the local community. But as the world changes, so you touched upon, uh, you know, climate, climate change and these disasters with forest fires, and there's also been flooding, earthquakes. Have you seen more need in, in other areas like besides climate, for example, migrants, and how can Rotary adapt to these changes and, and support them? So for example, like with climate change, I know that Rotary added a new um, focus area, which is the environment. But do you see, do you foresee anything else coming in the future due to um, changes in the world where Rotary will have to adapt and also focus on that to support those people and those causes? Well, you know, it's it was a monumental decision, of course, to add a seventh area of focus environment. There was a lot of discussion about shouldn't the environment be part of everything that we do? Um, but until we actually put a focus on it, I mean, we can say the same thing about DEI, right? I mean, it should be part of everything we do, but until we put it as part of our conversation and our focus, um, you know, it, it, it's always assumed that perhaps we're doing what we should be doing and, and, and not necessarily following through. You know, it, it, I think one of the things, and you touched on COVID, Kelly, that really we have had more change probably in the last five years in Rotary than we have in a long time. We've embraced technology. We've become a lot more efficient um, in not just in our club, but even in running Rotary International. Um, you know, a lot of online meeting more often, um, getting decisions made more quickly. And there's the other side of it as well, where we lack that human interaction, um, especially um, as a global organization, um, getting to know, um, getting to know our fellow Rotarians and and their perspectives, which we don't always get an opportunity to when we're in these little squares. But I do believe that we have changed more in the five in the last five years than we've seen in a long time. I'm anticipating that our next legislative body, our council on legis legislation, is going to have some really interesting enactments, um, taking into account some of these changes and really driving. Mm -hmm our policy. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see a lot of that. But I think, I think what I'm trying to say is that I think we've become a lot more flexible. And I think that we are open to new ideas and new challenges and new directions without getting away from, you know, our core values and our core mission. Um, so, you know, to answer your question about, you know, things like uh, the refugee crisis and things going on in the world, I think that this is just a natural um, progression of where we need to go. I mean, the Disaster Response Fund is probably a good example of that. We always said we weren't in the disaster uh, disaster response area. We relied on our partners like Shelterbox and like UNICEF and like you know Red Cross and all all the others. But how can we not? And I think that that's true of of everything else that we come in contact with in our communities every day. So, um, you know, I, I do think that it has made us look at everything we do in Rotary and at the Rotary Foundation and how we 
form our grants and how we align our grants and how some of the criteria from our grants um, you know, need to change or need to evolve. Um, and and I'm, I, I'm really excited about that. I, I really think that, what's the word I'm looking for? We're building a more relevant rotary for the generations to come by listening and being prepared for what's happening in the world. And on that note, <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I, I love that closing statement. I think, yeah, listening and being responsive and adapting, being flexible. I think those are all um, wonderful things to move Rotary forward into the future. Now, as we enter the question and answer period, as people think about their questions, I do have some fun rapid fire questions I would love to ask you. So people, as I ask these questions, please start thinking about your questions to ask uh, the panel. And feel free to type them in the chat or um, once I announce the Q&A period, you can raise your hand and I will give you the mic to ask your question. So first rapid fire question, uh, Valerie, what's one of your favorite rotary moments? We'd love to hear about it. Oh my goodness. We all have so many rotary moments, it's hard to pick one. Um, I'm just gonna say my first international convention sitting and looking at the internationality of our organization and realizing, seeing people in their traditional dress and really realizing the scope of our organization. Um, that was in um, Los Angeles at the Hollywood Bowl, which is a really unique uh, venue. And just, you know, you're in the open air and you're at this concert going on. You're just looking around and not, un not believing, you know, where you are and the people you're sitting with. That was that was really cool. One of my early ones. Uh, very similar to me, actually. I think my first like Rotary International Convention was my one of my favorite Rotary moments going to Montreal. And it's I think you'll never forget your first convention because you just feel the energy, the positivity. Everyone's there looking to make a difference. Uh, I know we had some club members who went for the first time, and I'm sure they really felt that as well. So yeah, definitely also one of my favorite Rotary moments. I love to hear from Yet or Jeffrey, if you want to also share a favorite Rotary moment. Uh, I think one of, uh, it's not a, a moment, it's the feeling you describe it, it uh, you, you describe a feeling to do something together with all those beautiful people being in all those different areas and different uh, fields of work and uh, to, um, yeah, to set up something nice for the environment or the community or things like that. And when you succeed in something that's really nice. I, I remembered my, oh, she said the first convention you remember, I think the best. Um, I remember that when we went there, just prior to that, Patrick asked me, like, I have two friends that need an, uh, an address to stay. Do you have some, some place? Said, yeah, I have. To. Normally I would never say yes. Uh, because I'm quite shy in that regard. And I said, oh, it's, it's Rotary. How bad can it be? Let them come over. And we had an amazing time. And up until now, I, I still remember that. I still hear the story because at that point, I was living technically in an, in an abandoned police station. So the story still goes around. Yeah, we slept in a police station. <laughs> so, yeah. That's, that's so funny. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so my final rapid fire question, I guess this is this one specifically for Valerie. What is your go-to Tim Hortons order? 
<laughs> well, I'm no longer in the business, but I do go there every once in a while. And I always have a medium chai tea with one milk and one sweetener. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Everybody on the call, if you don't know what Tim Hortons is, you can Google that afterwards. <laughs> Fantastic. So I'd love to um, head into the question and answer period. So if if any of you have any questions, please raise your hand by clicking on the reactions icon in the web webinar controls toolbar at the bottom of your screen, or you send it through the chat and I will call on you for you to ask your question. So Raquel, you have your hand raised, please go ahead. Yeah, hi, uh, thank you, Valerie, for joining us. So yeah, I have a couple of questions, but I'm going to focus on one. So since uh, 2018, Rotary with the Elevate Rotaract has been focusing much more on young people to include them like in leadership positions and either, even like at the international level in some of the committees. So how's, how does the organization plan to give space to those former Rotaractors who decided to transition to a Rotary club and are now being kind of forgotten by the organization? Because for Rotaract, we're somewhat older, but for Rotary clubs, we are young. So we're kind of in the limbo. Well, that's an amazing question and one I've probably never considered or thought about. And this importance of hearing exactly from participants who, you know, ask these questions and feel this way. So, I mean, one of the things that I love about um, some of the changes we've made in Rotary is that every one of us can apply to be on a Rotary International Committee. It's an open uh, application process that actually just closed on August 15th. So usually in the July Rotary Magazine, you will see the, the committees that are actively looking for members. And we used to have a Rotaract committee. And then we elevated Rotaract. And um, I've actually had the opportunity to chair this task force where we look at the, the applications and then make recommendations to the incoming president to make the committees up but with the members. And so we now have no Rotaract committee. We have encouraged Rotaractors based on their skill set to apply to any committee on Rotary International, the same as Rotarians. Um, we used to say, let's have a Rotaractor on each committee, but it wasn't necessarily their skill set. And that not that's not being you know truly inclusive or a good use of everybody's skill set. So now uh, everybody can apply for Rotary committees. We do make a concentrated effort, though, to make sure that we're looking at inclusion from a geographical point of view, from a gender parity point of view. Yes, if ages are, are provided, we try to make sure that um, it is inclusive that way so that we get a really great um, balance of experience and, and perspectives on each of those committees. So, you know, I think... I think it's very much, uh, again, up to each of us to make sure that we are tapping those young leaders on the shoulder at every level to either apply for those Rotary International Committees or to be leaders in those Rotary Clubs that the Rotaractors have decided to join um, and make sure that we are uh, encouraging those that currently aren't in leadership positions to always put their hand forward and, and and again, as I said, support them through the journey as well. Thank you. Fantastic, thank you. <laughs> well, we have a lot of questions coming through. I know some people are messaging me in the chat and also we have hands raised. Uh, Petronella, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Would you like to go next? 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Kelly. And uh, thank you, Valerie. My apologies. Uh, my power just went off, so I'm in darkness. But that's okay, because I need the ears to listen more than the light to see. Um, Valerie, thank you so much for your insights. And uh, it's quite interesting. Um, I like the last part that you just talked about because I'm also a former Rotaractor that transitioned to Rotary. And for us, it was quite smooth and it was good. And uh, it's, it's kept me in Rotary until now. Uh, the question I want to ask you is about eClubs. I, I am a charter, member, a charter president of a Rotary eClub of Victoria that just celebrated one year as an eClub. Um, there is a, a growing sort of like, I, I don't want to use very strong words, but something like it's, it's not easy for some people to accept that uh, e-clubs exist and uh, e-clubs are necessary and that e-clubs should actually be there for a certain category of people that have found it increasingly difficult to attend meetings in hotels physically and you know all these other places so there is this um growing sort of uh resentment about e-clubs for their nature mm -hmm. and for really what they are so in your view there's been discussion within the 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 e-clubs themselves in your view would you support the e-clubs uh getting a district, their own e-district? And uh, if so, how then would it impact on the Rotary membership? Thank you. Well, that's a, a fascinating question and a question that has actually come up in one of the committees I sit on. I sit on the Operations Review Committee um, and that is a committee, uh, you do have to be a path director, a Rotary International Director. And we, it's a fascinating committee actually. We take a look at uh, questions like this and um, policy that maybe the board or the trustees ask us to take a look at. Um, but we have talked about this, Petronella. We have talked about um, having e-clubs represented uh, on their own and leadership as far as district governor, et cetera, um, of an e-club district. Um, it's a it's one of those conversations that I love to get involved in, but it really kind of like, it's just, there's so much to consider um, as far as the structure of our organization. Um, but I don't have the answers for you. I can tell you that it has been discussed. It will continue to be discussed. It will probably have to go to uh, the Council on Legislation, which I mentioned earlier, our legislative body to make some of these changes. Um, I can share with you that some districts have had district governors that belong to an e-club that have had a lot of success with that member um, meeting in the new way that we meet with our members. That again, COVID, you know, gave us this great new platform that everybody is so used to now. Um, and, and, you know, then attending events and things like that, but their main focus is online. And so again, I think it just, it challenges us to think differently. Um, so again, I love the question, Petronella. Don't have an answer, but I can tell you that we are talking about it, which is really exciting. Great. And we have time for one final question before I wrap up. And then if 
anybody would like to stay on the line, Valerie has kindly offered <laughs> additional time so uh, we can go through all the other burning questions that people have been sending me. <laughs> I'd like to call on Kenneth to ask his question. Thank you. Um, it, it's more of a compliment to Valerie and her husband. My, my, I'm the president of the World Disability Advocacy Club. And we were formed a couple of years ago and Valerie and her husband, Mark, were very instrumental informing that club and it's something that came out of um, a DEI committee in my district 7910 which I joined because I wanted to make sure the people with disabilities were represented in that committee along with everything else that needs to be represented there and it's something that I just wanted to make a comment first of all thank you Valerie for the for help helping us get started and also to remember that People with disabilities also should be included in DEI. They're 15 to 20% of the, of the population in the world, represent the largest minority in the world. And it's important uh, that people with disability are looked at for their abilities rather than their, dis their, their disabilities. So I just wanted to make that comment to include it in DEI. I know Valerie does, always does. So much appreciated in that. Thank you. And thank you, Ken, for all the work that you're doing. Um, he's downplayed um, this this role, this club that they've started. Um, not only do they have a number of members in this club, but they have, Ken, tell me how many people globally you have that are part of your advisory that are commit to this well, we, we have, Yeah, I'm sorry. We have several hundred. The club itself is up to about 45 members right now, but female to male percentages is 50-50 and it wasn't designed that way it just happened so that's that's beautiful that when that happens that's beautiful and you know we uh, when we when we formed the DEI task force and we went globally looking for our members we didn't have anyone applying that had a disability um, and that told us something as well as did our very first survey that we did internationally uh, when we asked, could do you think that people with disabilities could hold leadership positions within Rotary or are they in your clubs? And resoundingly, we heard you know, no. And so we saw that as a huge opportunity and we now do have somebody on our task force with a disability and we have made accessibility one of our key, uh, our key focus items for this year as well. And I can tell you that uh, we've been meeting with um, all of our major events out of Rotary, including conventions and international assembly to speak about and have a conversation with the planning committees about accessibility and about making sure that there's a first point of contact always for our members when they're at these events, if uh, they have any accessibility needs, uh, whether they're, they've just come up like a wheelchair that broke when you're in Melbourne and you don't know how to fix it, or you don't, you can't access certain um, certain parts of the event uh, that that were over that were not seen um, in the planning event. So um, thanks to the conversations we've been having with with people like Ken and uh, and people with uh, the opportunity around disability, as Ken said, they make up a majority of our community, and yet they're not in our Rotary clubs. And it's not always about are there stairs or are there an elevator? It's more than that. It's more, it's just asking what you need to be able to come and participate in Rotary. Valerie, um, just so you know, um, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but we have, I'm happy to say it, but sorry to say that we have two members in our club. Both of them have polio and both of them were kicked out of their club because they couldn't get to meetings. 
So I have, that, I that's got to change. That has to change. I had a conversation with those members, and uh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Ken, I, uh, I'd love to learn more about your, your club. So maybe, uh, yeah, we can speak more in the, after the question, um, after we wrap up the recording. So thank you everybody Absolutely. for your questions. Thank you, Ken. And thank you for joining us for this recording. If you're inspired to get involved and make a difference in your community, we invite you to learn more about Rotary International and the Rotary Club of Worldwide Impact. That said, I'd like to thank Valerie, Jeffrey, and Yet for being here with us and turn it back to Valerie for some final remarks. Wow. Well, you know, one of the things that I love about being on meetings like this is, yes, I've spoken a lot, but I love to listen. And I know we have some international um, participants who probably are doing incredible things in their area. And I, you know, I would just love to hear from some of them about where we can further support them in their journey or what they're doing that we can learn from. I always find that that's the best part of these meetings. Sorry, Kelly. Uh, um, I don't. I don't know if we have time for that. But um, you know, I always learn more um, from these meetings when I listen. Oh, definitely. We will continue this after <laughs> I close out the recording. Cool. Definitely, cool. definitely. Right. So, thank you, Valerie. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Until next time. <laughs>